Well, good morning. This is, um, this is one of those Sundays where it's great to see that our, our pastoral staff is out doing ministry in all kinds of places today. Um, it's encouraging. We have um, Tom is preaching up in Maine at a small church in Maine. I think they have like 14 people and about 18 moose. And um, <laughs> is that, when you have more than one moose, is it moose or is it, what are mooses, meese, mice, yeah. Um, but Moose is there. So anyway, so Tom is up preaching in Maine today, and um, Pastor Jeremy is on our youth winter blast retreat, so he needs a lot of prayer, um, a lot of teenagers and cold weather and a lot of fun, and uh, the Word of God. And then we also have um, Pastor Austin is um, in, um, right now is in Amman, Jordan, and he's with the Evangelical Free Church. He and Marty Brophy went up, and they had the leadership of the Middle Eastern leadership for the Evangelical Free Church um, is gathering in Amman to just have a meeting about Middle Eastern ministry. And uh, since our church has been involved up in Lebanon and helping with Syria, um, they asked us to attend. So they're up there. Austin left yesterday, and Marty had just spent the week in um, Beirut, Lebanon, with two of our members. Um, doing ministry in Lebanon and looking at the ministry there. So Marty joined them down in Amman from, from Beirut. So it's exciting to see what God is doing as our church is in all kinds of places, taking the Word of God and helping to strengthen the church. But before we get started this morning, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to gather, to worship you, Lord, as we come here this morning, we're coming with all different things on our hearts and minds, and each of us are in different places. And Father, I pray that you would work in each of our lives and help us to set our hearts upon you in this time of worship now. And Lord, as we open up your word, I pray that you would help us to have insight into what, is, what you want us to learn from this text that we're reading today. And Lord, as you worked mightily in the Old Testament in the lives of people like Jacob, I pray that you would work mightily in our hearts and help us to apply what we hear today into our lives, to help us become that much more like Christ. Lord, to apply the truth of your word to the situations that we're in. Help us, Lord, to find peace in the gospel and help us to find our way as we follow Jesus Christ in this broken world. Lord, we do pray for the ministry that I mentioned that's taking place around the world today and in places like Maine. I thank you that our church can be involved there. Father, I lift up to you all of the ministry taking place in our children's ministries today as well as they gather in our kids' classes and open up your word. And I pray the hearts of those precious little ones would be turned to Jesus and that they would see their need for a Savior and that they would come to faith in you. Father, do a great work in each of us this morning. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing our journey through the life of Jacob, and last week's message ended with Jacob's sons informing Jacob that Jacob's son Joseph was still alive. A scripture records their words saying to Joseph, it says, I mean to Jacob, that Joseph is still alive, and he is the ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now, can you picture um, taking that message back to your father, Jacob. I mean, look at all that went on down in Egypt with, with Jacob's sons, and they find out that their brother Joseph is still alive. It's been about 20 years since Joseph was thrown into that pit that Jacob thought he lost his 
favorite son, Joseph. And now his, Joseph's brothers come back and they have this message. And can you just picture what that scene must have been like? Saying like, what do they think? Hey, Dad, um, well, we think you better sit down for this one. Um, you remember Joseph? Well, he's still alive. Now, not only that, Dad, but he's the ruler over all the land of Egypt, the greatest empire in the world at that time. Now, what strikes me, that would be you know, significant enough, but what strikes me as they communicated that to Jacob was what they left out. Uh, did you notice that, Joseph, that Jacob's sons didn't come up and get down on their knees and confess their sins to their father Jacob? Along the lines of, hey, um, Dad, um, not only is Joseph still alive, but um, there's something we never told you. Um, we we kind of threw him in a pit, and, and we sold him to slave traders. And, and remember that really nice, colorful jacket you got for him? Well, we dipped that in animal's blood, and we brought it back and gave it to you. And, and Dad, we told you that Joseph was killed by wild beasts, and for the last 20 years... We've kept this lie alive. See, that's what was not told to Jacob by his sons. Now, as we go into this, we're going to see, you know, and, and also as we look at the rest of the chapters that we read through so far, Jacob was not innocent in all of this. Um, Jacob was a deceiver. He was a liar. Remember Jacob, he deceived his brother Esau. He deceived his father Isaac. He deceived his uncle Laban. He had a favorite son. He had a favorite wife. He brought a lot of the dysfunction into his own family. He was not innocent. But last week's passage ended with these words. And these are the words of Jacob when he says, My son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And that's how chapter 45 ended. So if you would, um, please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 46. If you'd like a Bible, please raise your hand and our ushers will be glad to get one to you. Um, and if you don't have one at home, you can keep that as our gift to you and hopefully that you'll be reading it throughout the week. But well, we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 46, verse 1. Okay, I'm going to begin reading. So Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their property which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Let's stop there for a moment. Now you'll see as you read this, remember that the names Israel and Jacob are referring to the same person. Earlier in Genesis, God came to Jacob and he said, Jacob, 
I am now going to call you Israel. And what we find is we read the scriptures in Genesis, it kind of interchangeably will go back and forth between Jacob and Israel, and it's talking about the very same person in the Bible. Now, as we look at this, what I'd like to start out is showing you, it said, you know, they were, God, God spoke to him and said, Jacob, it's okay, go down to Egypt. And if you look at this map, what we'll see here is that up here, whoops, that's not what I wanted to do. Um, anyway, you can, I don't know where the pointer is on this one, but what you see is they started out in um, Hebron, which is just southwest of Jerusalem. You'll see that a little bit down to the left of Jerusalem below it. And the events that we just read had them leaving Hebron and traveling into Beersheba. And as, jo as Jacob offered the sacrifices, that's where they were at this time in Beersheba, along with all of his family making this journey down into Egypt. And they would have come across, and you can see the arrow, and where they they're pretty confident they ended up was in the, the northeast part of Egypt in the land of Goshen. So as we read today, what we're seeing is it's that journey where they're leaving Hebron, coming down into the land of Goshen with Jacob with all of his family members. Now, as Tom said last week, he made the phrase, he said this was kind of like the biblical version of the Beverly Hillbillies. Now, I, he was right in saying that. See, Jacob and all of his family were shepherds. And they lived up there in Hebron, and it said they loaded up the carts that, that Joseph had sent from Egypt up to get the family. Now, can you picture these people, not only did they have sheep, but they had all kinds of animals. Now, Jacob had all kinds of children as well, sons and daughters and daughter-in-laws, and it would have gone on at all of the animals that were coming with them, all of those children that would have been with them. Now, picture it. They're loading them up in the carts. You would have had sheep, and you would have had donkeys, and you would have had all kinds of animals loaded in these carts, kids running probably from cart to cart. And It reminds me, I did a missions trip in Ecuador when I was 21. I remember getting on this bus, and as I got on the bus, I think there were more sheep and chickens on the bus than people. And there were probably about four people to every bus seat that probably should have held two. Um, the, the top had a canvas like top up, you know, above the roof and the sheets up there. And it was, there must have been like 50 people up on the top of the bus. It, it was just chaos. Animals and chickens running every direction. I think that's what this looked like. When this caravan, here come these shepherds making their way all the way from Hebron down into the land of Goshen. Now, it says that as they made their way down, that they stopped in Beersheba. And Beersheba was a significant place in the lives of the patriarchs. See, if we go back to Jacob's family, what we see here was that each of his family members stopped in Beersheba. Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, stopped in Beersheba. And it says of Abraham that he pitched his tent, he dug a well, and there he made a covenant with a man named Abimelech. And it said he called upon the name of the Lord. And we go a little further in Genesis and we come to Isaac. And Isaac at one point in time also stopped in Beersheba. And it said of Isaac, he dug a well, he built an altar, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And now here we are in chapter 46 and we see Jacob himself stops in Beersheba. And what does it say? It says he offered sacrifices to the God of, of his father Isaac. Now, Jacob didn't bring a well, maybe because they had bottles of water in all those caravans they were bringing down. Most likely, he used his father Isaac's well. But here we have Jacob, it says. The first thing he did when he got there 
was that he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. See, I think this place, Beersheba in particular, had a significant place in the life of worship in the lives of the patriarchs. Now, as we advance through this, one of the things I want to help you see a little bit is that Jacob was progressing as a man of God and as a worshiper of God all the way through. Back in chapter 27, um, God appeared to Jacob in a dream. But if you look back in chapter 27, if you look at the order of events, God appeared to Jacob and then Jacob offered sacrifices to God. And if you remember, the vows that Jacob made in chapter 27 were very conditional. It was one of those things where Jacob basically said was, God, if you do this for me, then you'll be my God. God, if you give me these things, then I will worship you. They were very conditional statements. Now, if we look at it, a picture for yourselves. Like if, if in your life, who wouldn't say, God, if you give me a million dollars, I'll give you 100000 back. See, you walk away, $900,000 into the black, right? Who's not going to make that vow? You see, that's where Jacob was back in chapter 27. God, if you give me all these wonderful things, it'll be like us saying, God, you give me that new house, that great job, that great car, that house at the beach, then you will be my God. You see, what I want to look at here, Jacob comes to chapter 46, and there's no conditional statements. You see, Jacob approaches Beersheba, and he offers sacrifices to the Lord. And then God appeared to him in a dream. So I think, if you picture Jacob's life, Jacob is kind of like a lump of clay, I picture it. And back in 27, chapter 27, that was a pretty rough lump of clay. And God has been working on that clay from that chapter all the way through to where we are here in verse chapter 46 today. And now all of a sudden we're starting to see something taking shape in that clay in the life of Jacob. Because he's allowing the potter, he's allowing God to transform his life into the image of who God wants him to be. You see, what I want to just emphasize is that Jacob was growing as a worshiper of God. So Jacob offered the sacrifices. God spoke to Jacob, and Jacob obeyed. He moved down to Egypt with all of the family. See, the point that I'd like you to remember from this section is this, is that worship guides us to faithful obedience. Now, when we talk about worship, worship is not just something that happens up here on Sunday mornings. I think sometimes people say, oh, where do you worship? Oh, I worship at Riverstone Church. Uh, wrong answer. You know, so when do you worship? Oh, the 915 service? Wrong answer. You see, as believers in Jesus Christ, we should be worshiping every day of the week throughout the day. Now, if somebody says to you, so where do you worship corporately? Oh, Riverstone Church. You see, what our church services should be here is individual worshipers of God who are worshiping all week long coming here on a Sunday morning and worshiping together. And that is a beautiful worship before God. So don't think of worship as just something that happens on Sunday mornings. See, worship is it's a matter of the heart. See, as we get to know God and we understand who He is in all of His sovereignty, all of His justice, all of His love, all of His mercy, 
we start to love God so much more. And the result is that we are worshipers of God. See, that's what worship is all about. And um, I'm going to develop this theme as we go through this. But one of the results that we're going to see is that when we truly have that kind of a relationship with God, and we're growing in our worship of God, we start to obey God in our lives. And we're seeing that take place here in the life of Jacob. One of the things that is great is that Jacob was such an imperfect man. And what we're watching is this guy who had all of these flaws, all of this sin in his background, and God transformed him into a worshiper of God. That should give all of us hope, doesn't it? You see, the Bible is so real. It's not like God's taking this man who was practically perfect and putting him in the Word of God and in the Scriptures. What we're seeing is somebody who's just as fallible, just as messed up as we are. And see, God turned him into a worshiper of God. See, God spoke to Jacob in in this vision that he gave him in this dream, and he said, Jacob, and what did Jacob reply? Here I am. She kind of reminds a little bit. Remember Samuel, the little boy Samuel, when God spoke out and said, Samuel, Samuel. And what does Samuel say? Here I am, Lord. You see, here I am, I'm ready. Samuel was probably one of the godliest men in all of Scripture. And he followed the Lord throughout pretty much all of his life. And we see Jacob now, this schemer, this deceiver, this liar, saying, here I am, Lord. And we're seeing that growth. And see, God speaks to us today. You know how God speaks to us today? Through his word. Now, when you read the word of God, are you responding with the phrase, here I am, Lord. What is it you want me to do? But see, if, if we're not spending time in the word of God, how do we expect today to hear his voice when he calls us? How, is it, how, how do we know what it is that he wants us to do so that as we grow in our worship and we obey God, that we're obeying Him through what's in the Word of God. See, that's so important for us today. I had, um, you know, our, our wives can teach us a lot, and my wife has been leading, she led a study in women's ministries, and it's um, one of the things that they're teaching that they're asking you to do is as you read the Word of God and read whatever passage you read to ask the question, what does this teach me about God? You see, and Jan and I, this is one of the things we've been really enjoying is that we've been doing a devotional together and just reading two chapters of Scripture a day. And in two years, it takes you through the whole Bible. And as we read it, that's one of the questions that we'll chat about is what does this teach us about God? And I really appreciate it because Janet brought that in to us doing that. And it's been just really helpful. And I think as we think about ourselves growing as worshipers of God, we need to know who He is, understand who He is, and the only way we do that is through reading God's Word today. You see, Jacob had the luxury of having that vision. So did Abraham. But for God today, He's given us everything right here in this book. Now, as we move along, in these chapters, I mentioned that we're seeing Jacob mature in his faith. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, if you're familiar with Hebrews 11, it's, um, it's, they call it the Hall of Faith. And Hebrews chapter 11 gives the lives of different people throughout the scriptures, and they talk about, it shows how their faith stood out. Therefore, it's called the hall of faith. Abraham was in it, Isaac is in it, and Jacob is in it. And you know what God said of Abraham, I mean, of Jacob in in, um, Hebrews chapter 11? It says, by faith, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, 
and worshipped. How about that? Here's the liar and the schemer, and the schemer, and here he is in Hebrews 11, and it calls out, and he worshipped. See, wouldn't that be something that'd be awesome to be said of us? See, I, I think as we look at this passage here and what I just read in verses one through seven, I think Jacob was approaching Beersheba with a tension going on inside of him. You see, he wanted to see his son Joseph. Remember, he said, I'm going to basically go and see my boy. But he's approaching Beersheba, and I think the tension that came into Jacob was, do you remember the promises that were given to his grandfather and his father and to him? Saying, I am going to give you all of this land, and you are going to become a great nation. And here was Jacob, and what was he doing? He was leaving the land that God had promised to go down to the luxuries of Egypt. And I think Jacob was struggling with that. So what did he do? Jacob, it says, he offered sacrifices to the Lord. And I think it was basically saying, here was Jacob getting on his knees and saying, Lord, I am a sinner and I don't know what to do. And I want to see my boy, but I have this tension. And God appears to him in a dream and says, Jacob, go to the land of Egypt. I will bring you back to the land. He doesn't say in there, I'll basically I'll bring you back in a box because you're going to die in Egypt. But he says, I will bring you back and I will make you a great nation. You know what? They became a great nation. They became a large nation of people down in Egypt. And 400 years later, under the direction of Moses, what happened? They got led out of Egypt and God delivered his promise as he brought that nation back into the land. See, but Jacob was struggling and God gave him that reassurance. Talking about the word of God, see, God will give us reassurances as well. That's one of the things, when you read scripture and you're devoted to the Lord, God is going to give you what you need, whether it's reassurance, whether it's peace, whether it's conviction of sin, whatever it might be. And that's what God did. He took care of Jacob, and he, he'll take care of us as well. Well, now, in the next section, as we get into it, in verse, starting in um, verse 8, um, I'm going to do something here. We're going to en enter into a genealogy that's going to take us through quite a few verses. Now, genealogies are every bit as inspired as the rest of the Word of God. And when we come to genealogies, we should read them, and God will teach us something through them. But I'm going to break my own rule today. And we don't have the time to go through it all, so we're going to skip down to verse 28, and we're going to pick up in verse 28. So for homework, you can go back and read the genealogy beginning in verse 8. But let's start reading together in verse 28. What it says here in verse 28, Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. 
When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even till now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now, as we go through that, we can see some interesting things are coming up. But one thing I want to point out is that theologians refer to Joseph as a type of Christ. And you'll say, what, do, what does a type mean? What, when they say a type of Christ, what does that mean? Well, it simply means that through his role, Joseph was previewing someone that was going to come in the future far greater than himself, Jesus Christ. See, God gave Joseph that position over the ruler over all the land of Egypt so he could save his family and he could save God's chosen people from what was taking place with that famine that was going on throughout all of the land. But then about 17, 1800 years later, what was going to happen? Jesus Christ was going to come and ultimately bring salvation to all of God's people. See, in that regard, Joseph was a type of Christ. He was foreshadowing the salvation that would one day come through Jesus Christ. There's other, there's other things they point out that Joseph was a, a type of Christ in. But um, as we look at this, what a reunion this was. I mentioned earlier, it was 20 years that Jacob thought his son Joseph was dead. And now all of a sudden they're reunited and we see these two men just fall on each other, weeping and hugging and holding on to each other. And verse 30 says, Now let me die since I have seen your face. It's kind of like that at that very moment that it erased all of the pains and sorrow and troubles from Jacob's life. He said, wow. He's like, you know, Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face. Do those words remind you of any other biblical event that took place in history? And as I was reading through this, it took me to Luke chapter 2. And we see in Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to put it on the screen in a moment, an old man named Simeon. Now, Simeon had, you know, by this time in his life, he was an old man. I mean, I'm sure arthritis, probably failing vision. The guy was waiting to see the Christ. At some point in his life, we don't know when and we don't know how, but God supernaturally told Simeon that one day you will see the salvation of Israel. You will see, basically, you will see the Christ. And Simeon was holding on for that moment faithfully. You know, I I think probably every day he woke up wondering, is this going to be the day? And he was an old man. And I think he must have been a very godly man because he never gave up hope. And now, Here's the words of what happens in Luke 2. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant, this is Simeon speaking, to depart in peace. Kind of sound like Jacob. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. You know, as we look at the words of Jacob, and we look at the words of Simeon, I want to ask this question from all of us. And really, I'll give you a statement first. Let me give you what I would say is the point that I want you to take away from this section. True satisfaction is found in Christ alone. Can't you see in Jacob, can't you see in Simeon, a peace, a satisfaction of saying, okay, now I am at peace. And as Jacob said there too, let me die now that I have seen your, your face. 
And Simeon basically said the same thing. I want to ask us a question. Are you in a place that if God came and said that your life is coming to an end, would you be able to say, Lord, if it's your timing, I am ready to depart in peace? See, I don't think as Americans that we face death, and as Christian Americans, believers in Jesus Christ, I don't think in America we face the reality of death nearly as much as many parts of the world. I was reminded of that in the last 18 months. Twice I've been over to Lebanon working with the Syrians who we're working with as a church. And as you talk to these individuals, these young Syrian believers, mostly in their 20s, they are telling you of horrific story after horrific story after fathers and brothers who have been killed in ways that they almost face death, in ways that we as American believers never encounter. Um, Last month, um, Austin and I went to Africa. And as that trip was approaching, one of the places that we went into was the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It is not the most stable place in the world. We were pretty much every day in the weeks leading up to that trip having to check the news to determine if we could still go. Um, They had their first election in about 18 years. Um, African elections in most of Africa, especially the Central Africa, they don't look like our elections here. Um, The person that gets the most votes doesn't necessarily win. And um, sometimes candidates kind of disappear and they're never seen from again. Um, These things happen. And they were expecting a lot of violence to erupt in that election. But the candidate who won, probably wasn't the guy who got the most votes anyway, they said, um, but the person that they gave the election to, turns out that it was a very peaceful solution for the country. Our, our government, um, Donald Trump, had sent tr- American troops into the neighboring country anticipating violence in the Congo. So we had that going on. Um, also, the area that we were in, in the Kivu district, the hills around there are filled with gorillas. Now, they do, but they do have hairy gorillas with bananas, but I meant the, the gorillas with machine guns and hand grenades. And that goes on up there, so there's a lot going on, and they're in the midst of one of the largest outbreaks of Ebola that we've had in history. And so Austin and I are looking at all this, and we determined it was safe to go in. And what we found, we went in... <laughs> we, we had help. <laughs> um, we, were, we were reassured that it was a, a good thing to, you know, good timing. So we went in and we had like one of the most peaceful experiences. The people we worked with and the people that we ministered to were just lovely people. We had a great two days of ministry there. Now, Rwanda is a peaceful land. The genocide was 20, 25 years ago. And today, it's one of the most peaceful countries I've been to. It is gorgeous. Where the, the, the coffee plantation is in a place called Chimbili. It is gorgeous there. It looks, like, it looks like a honeymoon retreat. Now, one of the things that happened, though, so here Austin and I are, like, we're traveling into there thinking, man, this is like our poor wives are back home, and we're going to see these islands. It's beautiful. I mean, there was mango, pineapple, papaya, orange, banana, you name it, trees everywhere. And um, so we're going down. But the one thing to do is when you go down, the, the roads aren't paved, they're dirt roads, and you have to go from the mountaintop, the hilltop, down into the valley. And they are dirt roads with cliffs just going down. It kinda, I was in Yosemite two years ago, and I remember I thought, wow, in America, I can't believe we have these roads with those drop-offs. Well, these are dirt roads in that, that same version. So we drove down, everything was fine. But as we were coming back, and I'm going to show you, this is um, a picture of the area right here. Um, As we were coming back, um, it was a downpour that day. 
And the road, the dirt road going up was just mud. So the car was kind of slipping. There's no, no guardrails. It's about 800 foot drop. And Austin, they stopped. They said, hey, it's a great place for pictures. So Austin and I got out of the car and Austin comes up to me. He goes, Bob, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm, my hand is on that door handle. The whole thing, I'm like gripping it. I'm like, so is mine, Austin. Keep your hand on it. And if you have anything, just get out. So we, um, we're going up a little further and all of a sudden the car slips and went into a ditch on the, the, the kind of the, the mountainside, not the drop-off side. And, um, and it's in this gully and it's so much mud and the tires were spinning. And for about 15 minutes, back and forth and back and forth. And the driver, who was one of Celestin's um, co-workers, um, his name was David, he's gunning it. And I'm in my mind thinking, if that tire ever gets traction, we're going to shoot right out of this thing. And literally, that's what happened. And the car just shoots out and hits the main part of the road again, which is all mud, and just starts sliding. And he literally stopped it about three feet from the edge. But Austin and I, as the car was sliding, both of us threw open our car doors, and we were about to dive right out into the mud. And... Um, so stupidly, what I say was, well, actually, when we, we got up, the, the two Africans, Celestin and David, they were cracking up. They're like, these two crazy Americans, these guys are going to jump out of the car. So we get up to the next point where it's like, you know, where it's solid, solid ground, and we take some pictures, and Austin and I just walk over to each other, and we just lost, we just started laughing. And, um, but I could just picture what we just looked at. And I turned to David, and I'm like, hey, David, don't worry. I had you covered, man, because if we were going out, I was going to grab you and take you with me. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, there was no way that was going to happen. But you see, that's a humorous story. We can laugh now. But you see, as, as Christian Americans, we seldom have to face the reality of death. But when we go to a memorial service, when something like that may happen in our life, it's a healthy thing for us to think, am I ready if the Lord were to call me home. You know, what kind of peace would we have with that? And here's the one thing. I, I think a lot of us, sometimes we can say, hey, we need to be ready and all this. But certainly, we would have things that we would miss in this world if God took us home. And that's okay. You see, we have family, we have friends, and we would miss them dearly. But what I want to ask us is, what is it in our world that defines us? Because, see, if we're finding our identity in Jesus Christ, we realize that, man, God gave us all these things on this earth out of his grace to enjoy, and that's wonderful. But, you see, we can't find our identity in those things. They have to have their pro proper place in our lives so that we also, as believers in Jesus Christ, have a longing to be with him. And I think that's what happened in Jacob's life. Jacob grew as a worshiper of God to the point where he had a longing to be with his God. He wanted to see his son Joseph, and he loved some of the things of this world. I look at Simeon. Simeon had a wonderful life, I'm sure. He served in the temple. He was a man of God, but he had a longing to go home to be with God. And you see, when we put our identity in the things on this earth, we start to lose that longing to be with God. And we start to worship the creation rather than the creator. And it's okay to, to enjoy them, though. Now, as we go on, one of the things I'd like to say, I mentioned that our true satisfaction should be found in Christ alone. We just sang the song, In Christ Alone. Now, I want to tell you, there's a lot of planning that goes into our worship services. 
Benjamin does a tremendous job. You know, every Sunday, Benjamin is leading us with songs that are filled with focusing us on Jesus Christ and on the gospel. And he works them through even the scriptures that we preach on. So it wasn't like he today was the, you know, the blind squirrel that found the nut. This was planned. We sang in Christ alone. Our point is true satisfaction is found in Christ alone. Um, well, wait a minute. I'd, actually, I didn't put the words up here. I wanted to read a couple of the words to you from that song. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Think about Simeon, and here's one of the words to the song. Fullness of God in helpless babe. You see, for each of us, I have to ask that question. On what are we standing? Is Jesus Christ your all in all? Are we standing on the love of Jesus Christ? Or are we trying to find our satisfaction in the things of this world? I want to wrap up by just taking us into Genesis 47. And we're just going to read the beginning part of this psalm, of this chapter. Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all they have have come out of the land in Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. And so Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. Now, we see here it's interesting that this lifelong shepherd, and what did it say about shepherds to the Egyptians? That they were despised by the Egyptians. What a, and here was this lifelong shepherd walks in to Pharaoh, the greatest ruler of the greatest empire of all the land at the time. And what happens? The shepherd blesses the king. Isn't that ironic? How would you feel walking into the White House and giving a blessing to Donald Trump? Now, I know politics and preaching never go too well together, so let's just say, no matter who the president is, no matter what your thoughts are, could you picture yourself walking into the White House and giving a blessing to the president? That's what Jacob just did. He walks in. Now, I think it's because of Jacob's age he was able to get away with this. He was 130 years old. But what stands out to me, and by the way, well, let's read this, because it says here in in verse uh, verse 9, 
The years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. Now, they lived a little longer than we do. Now, to give you a little bit of idea, Abraham lived to 175. Isaac lived to 180. Here was Jacob at a, a young, you know, spry 130. Um, he, lived about se- he lived 17 more years. He died at 147. But what stood out to me the most was what Jacob said there when he said, unpleasant have been the years of my life. I want to close with giving you this point. Live for Christ now to avoid regrets later. This is a lot like the second point that I gave you. But you see, the things that we do today shape our future. Remember I told you about Jacob being like the the clay on the potter's wheel? That's what we are. We are all clay on the potter's wheel. And when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, one of the things you're doing is you're surrendering to him and saying, Lord, have your way with me. Begin shaping me. And the choices that we make now impact our lives later on. I see young people, they take the kind of that attitude of, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have fun now and I'll get right with God when I get older. There's a couple wrong things with that. You don't know how long you're going to live. You, you're, you're, your years could be up tomorrow. The second thing with that, we look at that and it's like we say, when people say that, it's almost like they're saying, you know what, I, I think the things that this world offers are more fun and they're better than what God has to offer, which is so untrue. If we go back to what I said, if we find our identity in Jesus Christ alone, we are going to be so much better off than if we take that attitude, I want to, I want to experience what the world offers. You see, Jacob experienced what the world offered, and what did he say? Few and unpleasant have been my years. You see, we need to live for Jesus Christ now, and you will never regret it. I guarantee you, I've, I've sat by bedsides of people dying. I have never heard anyone saying, you know what, I wish I read my Bible less. You know what, I wish I prayed less. You know what, I wish that I experienced more of what the world offers. You see, because what is most important to all of us is growing as a worshiper of God and falling in love with Him, and we will never be disappointed. I want to leave you with something, though. God, Jesus Christ Himself told us that we need to worship God, love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart. Jesus calls us to totally love God. And I, I, sometimes I look at that and I think, I know how deceitful my heart is. And when I think about loving God with all of my heart and totally loving Him, sometimes that can heap some guilt upon me. I'm thinking, God, I just can't. I, I just, every day I struggle. You're thinking, Bob, it sounds great right now, but I leave here and I've got three or four kids and I've got a ma- I'm struggling marriage, a job that I'm working 10, 11 hours a day, and I've got to take care of my house and pay my taxes and do this and do that. And you feel like your worship in all good intentions just starts to slip away. You know what? God understands. But you know what? Where is your hope found? Your hope is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to read something to you and give you some hope. Acts 1, 13, 38, and 39. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. If you're living with that struggle upon you, guess what? Your God knows it, 
And that's why Jesus Christ came. That's what the gospel message is all about. The gospel of Jesus is so, so deep that it remedies all of your sins. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so deep that God is able to look at you and just tell you that you are now innocent in the eyes of God. You've been completely forgiven. You see, and then it's from that perspective of knowing the gospel that we can start to examine our own lives and recognize when we start to love something of the creation more than we love the creator. And you know what you do when that happens? Just like Jacob did. He got to Beersheba. What did he do? He offered sacrifices. You don't have to offer sacrifices. The Lamb of God is your once and for all sacrifice. But what do you do when that happens? And the world starts to pour in upon you. You feel guilt. You feel overwhelmed. You run to the cross and say, Jesus, I can't do this, but I know you can. And you can let that guilt be set aside as you grow as a worshiper of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, and we thank you for what we've seen in the life of Jacob, a man who is flawed and imperfect and sinful, just like us. Father, give us hope that we too can become worshipers of God. Help us each and every day to grow in our understanding of you, our love for you, and our worship of you. 